Hey, go ahead and have a seat. Do you ever get out of breath during worship? Like, I, I would like to think of myself as being an individual that's in shape, but there are times in worship where I, uh, I find myself without breath because of declaring the glories of our Lord Jesus Christ like this. What an absolute peaceful blessing it is that we be able to declare that. And listen, we're going to talk about some stuff today that's heavy, that's kind of hard. And I know you know this, as you walk through the course of life, hard things happen. Hard things come, hard things go. You can look in the rear view mirror of life and you can see and know, yeah, I've walked through some pretty awful stuff. And no matter no matter what your great takeaway is today from the word of God as it is preached, the song we just sang is the crystal clear message that you need to walk out of here with, that our God is holy, he is righteous, he is perfect in all his ways, he came to earth, he was crucified, dead and buried, lived a sinless and perfect life. And in all of his goodness, his strength and his power, he raised himself from the dead and he is now seated seated at the right hand of God the Father on his throne, anticipating and waiting on our prayers as we bring them to him. That's the crystal clear message that you need to walk away with. Our God is good no matter what life would tell you. Our God is good. Hey, listen, I love this. I love Katie's prayer, magnificent. I love our moment of prayer during that song, magnificent. And I want you to know this. If you're not, there are times where our pillar is even hard for me in my life, fervent in prayer. Sometimes it's hard, but here's what I know I can count on. I have many people surrounding me that are fervent in their prayers and they are praying for me. And I so love and appreciate that. Listen, I would encourage you. If you're not one that asks for people to be praying for you, now is the time to start doing that. Being fervent in your prayers and being expectant of those in your life being fervent in their prayers on your behalf. And so I wanna share one. We're gonna pray. Um, of the many people I, I count on to pray for me throughout the course of the weeks, the weeks that I preach, um, one of them is Carrie Marsman, and I think she's probably not in here right now. Um, but this is her prayer that I'm going, she prayed over me, and I'm going to pray over us as we enter um, into today's message, opening his word. So pray with me. Lord God in heaven, we come before you right now. And I ask, we ask, Lord, may your spirit be strong and radiant through the pulpit today. May hearts may hearts unite and be aligned for the cause of Christ. God, may your glory rain down in our church to live a fully surrendered life for you in all things. That's our prayer today. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, here we are. We started out last September. Um, How did we get here? That was the big question we wanted to answer. And so we spent last fall in uh, the first two chapters of, of Genesis, the first book of the Bible. And what a fun time that was. How did we get here? Watching God with his spoken word, 
Watching God with his spoken word declare, this is what I want my creation to look like. He speaks, it happens, and it's always good. Magnificent experience as we walk through. How did we get here? How did we physically get here? God spoke, God created, and it was so. And then about a month ago, we started answering that question, how did we get here in a different way? Yes, how did we get here physically? God created us. But as you look around our world today, the real que- the question, how did we get here, takes a bit of a turn. How did things get as messy as they are? And so the beginning of chapter three is where things started to get dicey for us. And I believe our spiritual growth pillar is being played out right now in the midst of this chapter as we look at how we really got to where we are. We see at the beginning of chapter three, Eve standing before the serpent and serpent laying down, the serpent laying down for her deceit. And she decided as a result of the deceit, she liked what she saw, she liked what she heard. She reached out and she took of a fruit that was forbidden for her from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and she ate, and her eyes were opened, and she gave it to her husband also. She gave it to Adam. Introduction to the fall. Mankind has fallen. They brought sin into the world. And as a result of the sin, there were these specific curses that were spoken over two, two things. Charles alluded to it last week. Um, chapter 15, 14 and 15. Mankind fell. God finds Adam and Eve in the garden. They're hiding in their shame. God clothes them. And then he turns and he says to the serpent, last week, Charles visited that for us and with us. And he curses the serpent and he throws him on his belly. And the curse says, you are now forever damned and separated from you. There is no hope for you. Curse. We're going to see next week that a curse was spoken as a result of Adam's choice. Next week, we're going to see that a curse was spoken over the land. To never again have any hope, it will one day be destroyed when Christ returns, and he will reestablish his kingdom in its newness as he recreates the things that we know and we see around us. But today we're going to look at what God said to Eve. It's not a curse, it's a consequence. Next week, Jasper is going to look at what God had to say to the man. I was supposed to preach both of those. And during sermon collaboration this past week, I sat with the guys and I had worked through what God um, had to say to the woman. And I get to the end and they're like, how in the world are you going to preach the next? And I'm like, I agree with you. I don't know how I'm going to preach, not just verse 16, but 17, 18, and 19. Because I'm thinking, I'm going to look at the clock, and it's going to be 20 after, and I won't, even had, I won't even started with what God has to say to the man. So they graciously said, how about we just cut it in half? You preach verse 16, and next week Jasper can do 17, 18, and 19. And as a man standing before you right now, I would prefer to preach next week's message because that is the word that God spoke over man. Here are the consequences that are going to come, man, because of what you did. I stand before you today as a man saying, hey, hey, folks, this is what God has to say to the woman. The consequences that he brought to bear 
in her life as a result of her choice. Pre-service, we're sitting over here in Corey's, uh, in the choir room. And uh, Adrian Finkenbinder, he goes, great. This is just your absolute traditional message for Valentine's Day. (laughs) And I said, right on. I shared, you know, as I was working through sermons, you know, I always go back and I revisit sermons that we've preached in the past. And I came across one and I sent it to a, a dear friend of mine. And I said, look, hey, you're the, you were the inspiration for this message. And I, I said, he called me like a week later and he said, hey, I started listening to it. And he said, I couldn't finish it. He said, if that message were to have been preached in my church, he said, they would have stoned you and chased you right out. And I said, why? And he said, no one preaches the word like that. If you are a member of Summit Church, if you're new with us today, no matter who's standing in this pulpit, you can expect this, that this word will be preached as it is written. We will not avoid the hard stuff. We will preach the hard stuff. And I promise you this, if you respond to the word of God, you will grow in your relationship with him in ways that you never, ever imagined. So as we get into it today, turn to, we'll get to Ephesians, but turn to Genesis chapter three. And as you turn to Genesis chapter three, here's what we're talking about today. We're talking about consequences and I'm calling them necessary consequences. What makes them necessary? Well, we're about to find out. Genesis chapter three, consequences. Hey, you remember that stunt that hostess pulled a couple of years ago where they said, hey, we're gonna stop making Twinkies? I remember it. I was like, I know this is a stunt because they're eventually going to bring them back and it's gonna be awesome again. Well, Mitch, my oldest son and I, we got a box of Twinkies and uh, we decided we were gonna put the Twinkie taste to the test. And so we did. I don't know where you stand with Twinkies, but they're up here for me. And they were for Mitch too. Were, key word. So we had the first one. You know, they come in packs of two. So we, I took one, he took one. We ate and we were like, man, that was absolutely incredible. It really is the best off the shelf snack you can actually purchase in any grocery store. Twinkies. First one, we're like, hey man, that was so awesome. Let's do it again. Open the second pack, split it. I had one, he had one. About two-thirds of the way through the second one, a shift started happening. It still tasted so good, yet something started happening right about here. And we were like, hey, it still tasted so good. Let's try the third one. This is inside of five minutes. Third one, open, we split. We're not halfway through the third one, and we're realizing the mistake we've just made. We finished it, but I don't believe I've had a Twinkie since then. Hey, that's, that's a real life consequence. My body told me that's absolutely enough. You can't have any more. How about this? Now, anyone ever I, I ever use as a sermon illustration, I've asked for permission. So now I'm going to invite Caden, my oldest, who's sitting right there. I'm going to invite him in on this. I believe, Wendy and I believe that he learned how to read through Calvin and Hobbes. He, we had to hide the Calvin and Hobbes books from him. 
He, I believe the pictures taught him what the words were saying. And as he grew up, that's how he learned how to read. Forget school. Calvin and Hobbes was the answer. And so here's what happened. He's learning from Calvin and Hobbes. He's taking the hose in the middle of the winter and spraying down the deck to make it all ice. Calvin, he did that. Here's the good one. He's not, he's not like four or five years old. And he is determined to booby trap our steps by breaking toothpicks in half. And you come down the steps to a landing, go down the steps. On the landing, he takes these toothpicks with a pointy end up and sticks them in the carpet. Consequences coming. Guess who stepped on them? That guy. Caden, <laughs> it wasn't me. And of course, he goes crying to mom, this is what I did. Consequence came to bear in the moment as a result of what he did. And guess what he learned? No, we didn't need to bring any discipline to bear. He had learned his lesson. When Wendy said, she's like, ah, let me just pull it out. It was like half of that half of the toothpick was up in his foot. So it wasn't just a little flesh wound. Like it was nearly coming out of the top of his foot. Consequences. But seriously though, seriously speaking, parents, you know this. What happens if life for your child is nothing but a bed of roses? Good consequence after good consequence. There is never a painful moment that you bring to them in their lives. Caden, again, is my example. He's the only one I raised from infancy on up. And let me tell you, his terrible twos were exactly that. They were terrible. And there were days where we spanked him four and five and six times. Because we knew if we permitted this behavior to continue on, Nothing was going to change for him. Negative consequence, spanking after spanking after spanking. And you know what? We had to entrust that to the Lord. The Lord called us to discipline him and raise him in the admonition and instruction of the Lord. And then we just had to turn him over and pray to God that the Holy Spirit got a hold of him. You know what? God got a hold of him. And he is a fine young man today. And I praise, praise God for that. Here's the big question. What would your life right now look like? If there was, and we're not talking about the good things. God said to Israel, hey, listen, there will be blessing if you do the right thing. There will be blessing. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about the things that we don't like that God permits, to, permits and causes to come in our lives. The big question is, what would your life look like if there were no consequences? Now, there are things that come into our lives that God causes to happen. He permits to happen that we don't ask for. I know many of you have seen and experienced miscarriages, some of you one after the other, multiple miscarriages. Sickness has come into lives of those closest to you. You've seen and experienced accidents that have taken the lives of loved ones and have impacted lives. Death comes. All of this the result of the fall. These are, these are consequences of living in a fallen world, things that we don't ask for, but... What about those ones we invite into our lives? What would your life look like if these self-induced, choice-driven consequences were not brought to bear in your life? Marriage. What would your, like, what would your marriage look like if you didn't suffer from the hardship that comes in a marriage? Husbands. Husbands. 
What if there was never relational fallout for your excessive play and work and self-absorbed moments? I'm praying to God you're growing out of that. I pray to God that I'm growing out of that. Wendy prays to God that I'm growing out of that. But think about it, men. What if there was never a relational consequence, relational fallout to your excessive self-absorption? Ladies, I ask for mercy this morning as I preach, and I'm going to ask you to fill in your own blank. What would life look like without consequences for your wrong choices? Hey, kids, I know you have a bulletin in front of you that you're filling out right now, and that's really wonderful, but I want you to consider this. What would life look like for you if you never got in trouble? What would your home look like if you never got in trouble? Hey, teenagers, on into young adulthood. What does life look like when you refuse to honor your parents and listen to them? Hard stuff to wrestle with, isn't it? Here's an even bigger question. What would our world look like if Genesis chapter 3, verses 16, 17, 18, and 19 didn't happen? Hey, we're all thumbs up for curse, curse that silly snake for doing what he did. But what if God removed the consequences that he spoke over Eve and said, this is what's coming to you, and to Adam and saying, this is what's coming to you? What if these were all removed? What would our world look like today? We have the garden, Adam and Eve in there, enjoying life to its absolute fullest. We see them reach out and take the forbidden fruit, and they fall. And then this most sweet experience, I believe, one of the sweetest of all. After the fall, Adam and Eve are hiding, and they realize they are naked. They are now experiencing shame for the first time in their lives. And even after the fall, God says, where are you? We're hiding because we're ashamed Who told you you were naked? And what does he do? Even still, he provides for them a way for them to hide from their nakedness. What an incredible picture of love and mercy and grace. And then imagine there were no consequences after that. Remove. No pain in childbirth, no pain in raising your kids, no pain in your marriage, no pain in the workplace. Nothing. What would our world look like if that all changed? What does our world look like with these hard things that we have to experience, these negative consequences? When I look at my life and I consider the past from when I was 50 years of my life, when I was able to think. I look at what I did knowing trouble was coming. I can't imagine what life would be if I removed those hard things that God chose to bring into my life. They are necessary, necessary consequences. Why does it have to be that way? We always want to know why. And I'm always, every time we wrestle with this question, I'm going to bring it back to this. We don't always need to know why. 
We just need to simply sit back and rest in the goodness of and trust in the goodness of our gracious and merciful and all-knowing, sovereign and loving God. It's the way he has determined it should be. God is not in the business of sharing his glory and his position with anyone. He is the creator. We are created. We need to humbly submit ourselves to that truth, knowing that mankind has chosen a different path than what God intended. And as a result, God continues to bring things into our lives to get our attention. God determined it be that way. Mankind needs it that way. Look, Adam and Eve in their perfection, in their perfection, they still chose wrongly. They still chose poorly. Then we look at throughout the entire Old Testament, Israel... I'm going to draw our attention to one place in particular, Israel and the promised land. And then even as you walk through the judges, I encourage you, read Deuteronomy. Read, do you ever have to start at the beginning? Like, I'm like, what comes after Deuteronomy? When I'm standing on the stage, I lose it. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua. Read Deuteronomy and Joshua. Because listen, Israel in the promised land, God warns Israel In Deuteronomy chapter 8, he says this, take care lest you forget the Lord your God. How are they going to forget the Lord their God after all the magnificent things he did for them? Take care lest you forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments and his rules and his statutes, which I have commanded you today. Verse 12 says, why? Lest when you have eaten and are full and have built good houses and live in them. And when your herds and your flocks multiply and your silver and your gold is multiplied and all that you have is multiplied, then, then your heart be lifted up, be lifted up in pride. And you forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. The same warning he gives to to Israel as they are about to enter the promised land, he speaks to us. We cannot forget in all of the magnificent goodness that the Lord has poured out on us, the comforts we have living in the place we live, we cannot forget God, yet we will if life continues or is constantly a bed of roses. Because look, Moses, toward the end of Deuteronomy chapter 31, he's about to die and leadership is in the process of being turned over from him to Joshua. And this is what he says. For when I have brought them into the land flowing with milk and honey, God says to Moses, which I swore to give to their fathers, God remains true to his promise. And they have eaten and are full and grown fat. They will turn to other gods and serve them and despise me and break my covenant. He says it's going to happen. They're going to move into the land after the conquest is taken care of. They're going to settle in. They're going to eat. They're going to have their fill. They're going to become fat and they're going to forget me because life is so comfortable necessary consequences. How, question for you, church, how are you, how are we any different than Israel? How do you learn best? I know how I learn best. When I put my hand on the stove, that's how I learn best, when things hurt. And I believe that's the same for you. 
Adam and Eve had to learn that way. All of Israel had to learn that way. And that's how we learn today. We have these prodigal moments. We spend our spiritual inheritance on ourselves only to suffer. God brings us into great relationship with him. Magnificent and eternal relationship. And he pours out blessing after blessing on us. And we spend it on our own pleasures. Shame on us. God needs to get our attention, doesn't he? He needs to get our attention. Maybe you're sitting there saying, you know what? I don't need it. I don't need it that way. You know what? I, Eve, Eve, she did that. I get it. I wouldn't have done that. Well, here's my challenge to you. If that is actually the case, then I want you to never sin again for the rest of your life. Actually, let's start with today. I want you to not sin even once today. And then we'll see if you can um, suggest that you could have been in Eve's shoes and not made the same decision she did. Necessary consequences. Today's big takeaway, if there's anything, yes, that song we sang, gospel message, you need to walk away with that. But listen, here's what it is. I want you, church, to embrace the purpose of God's sovereign consequences. Embrace them. Receive them. Know that they are for your spiritual good. God is not interested in your apathy and you floating along in life. He is interested in you becoming like Christ. James chapter 1 says this, that we are to consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters. Consider it pure joy whenever they're going to come. You face trials of various kinds. Trials in parenting. Let me start at the beginning. Trials in childbirth. Trials in parenting. Trials in your marriage. The home is the breeding ground for spiritual growth. Absolutely. Consider it pure joy whenever you face trials of many kinds in your home. Because why? The testing of your faith is what develops perseverance, endurance. And that must finish its work so that you would be mature and complete, not lacking anything. That's spiritual growth. That's what God wants from you. You're not going to get it without hardship coming into your life. You're not going to get it without significant consequence. And so today's passage, ladies, husbands, pay attention. Genesis chapter 3, verse 16. To the woman, he said, I will surely multiply your pain and childbearing. In pain, you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. As I was listening to what John MacArthur had to say about this passage, he made this assertion, and I 100% agree with him. And men, I'm asking you to agree with me. There is not a harder position on the face of the planet to fill than that of the woman. And as we walk through this one single verse, here's why, here's why I believe that, and I'm asking you to believe it too. Eve not only had her own shame and sin to battle with, pain and childbearing and pain and child raising, child rearing, the sin of her kids, she deals with the sin, her own sin, she deals with the sin of her children, And then your desire is going to be contrary to that of your husband. You're going to want his position. You're going to desire for him to be your fulfillment in everything. Yet, he's going to rule over you. 
And what that means is he's going to rule over you in ways that make it very difficult for you to obey the original design. And the position of the woman is the helpmate to the husband. That's what makes it hard to be a woman, not just in today's society, but from the day and from the moment that Eve took of the fruit. To the woman, he said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. This can also be interpreted this way. Look at the verse. To the woman, he said, I will surely, that's God saying, I'm going to do this. I will surely multiply your pain and childbearing. In pain, you shall bring forth children. In pain, you're going to bring forth children through the birthing process, and you're going to bring children forth in raising them. If you were to read this in the original language, this is kind of how it would go. God would say, causing to be great, I will cause to be great your pain and your sorrow. God intends for this to not be a comfortable experience. Birthing pain, the physical pains. Look, this is where I should invite a woman up here to speak to this. Because men, we can't understand. There, like, you can't say childbirth is like, because there's nothing to compare giving birth to a child. There's nothing with which we can compare it to. Instead, we say, that's the, that's the pinnacle of pain. We compare pain to that because it is one of the most excruciating pains that you can endure. Everything from the contractions beforehand to the delivery process to the, to the post-delivery contractions to postpartum blues, hard, hard, hard thing that women have to endure. And you know what? Medicine today has answers for that. But God intended for this to be a reminder for you women and for men as you watch your wife go through this. It's a reminder. Hey, look, you need me. You need me. You need me. There's not just the physical pain, but there's the emotional pain. We don't have, the, the, giving birth uh, the last 75 years is a cakewalk as compared to what women had endured from the fall until like, the last 50 to 75 years. Listen to this, the emotional pain. Queen Anne was queen of England and Scotland and Ireland from 1702 to 1707, and she continued to reign as queen in Great Britain and Ireland until her death in 1714. She lived to be 49 years old. 49. She had 18 pregnancies in her 49 years. Five, five made it through birth. Only five. And of those five, not a single one made it past childhood, death. Imagine the pain that Queen Anne had to endure as a result of the consequence that was spoken over the woman. I can't imagine. One of our own right now is enduring some very significant hardship as a result of childbirth. Not just physical, but emotional pain that is dragging this family through the mud. Miriam DeYoung. She's in Canada right now with her daughter. There were significant complications surrounding the birth of the child that they have. 
There's, there are problems with the child's spine. There's problems with the child's brain. And they are just crying out to the Lord. Emotional struggles. Let's pray for them. Father, may your absolute hand of peace and blessing guard the hearts and the minds of Miriam and Laura, her daughter, and Ryan, her son-in-law, and Liam, this baby boy. Lord, we ask that you would do a magnificent and miraculous work. We pray this in the name of Jesus and the life of this child. Lord, heal his brain, heal his spine, and any other disruption to health. Lord, bring it. Bring a healing. But I know Miriam would want us to pray, God. You are sovereign over all things. May your kingdom come and your will be done in the life of this family and this child. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Terrible, emotional pain that women have to endure through the birthing process. You want to know what's really incredible, though? This, I love this. While God said this to Eve, he uses the woman to bring life into this world. And men only get to enjoy it. He chooses the woman to bring life into this world. She brings, God brings physical life to each and every one of us through the womb of our mother. How absolutely wonderful is that? Life, he's given us life. Imagine right now, you weren't. Imagine you weren't. That's one to really wrestle with. What if I wasn't? That's a terrifying thought for me. Now, not just does he choose to use Eve to use women to further life in this world. He says, you know what? I don't need man to continue life. And more importantly than life here on earth in the 80 or 90 years that he gives us, God willing, he says, I'm going to bring eternal life through the woman. And I don't need a man to do it. I'm going to do it myself. The Holy Spirit overshadowed Mary, brought into existence God through Mary, God in the flesh, so that we would have access to eternal life and restored relationship with God the Father as we accept the truth of who Jesus Christ is. God brings life through the woman. God brings eternal life through the woman as she gives birth to the person of Jesus Christ and he lives his sinless and perfect life and goes to the cross to take what we deserve that was not spoken over us, the curse. The curse is poured out on Jesus so that we don't have to endure it. If you don't know that, if you don't know that truth right now, now is the time. Now is the time to receive that. To the woman, he says, I will surely multiply your pain and child, pain and childbearing. In pain, you shall bring forth children. Causing to be great, the original says, I will cause to be great your pain and sorrow. Hey, you go from the birthing process to now it's time to raise this child. Terrible twos turn into the what? The terrific teens. To this wonderful experience of raising a, a, a child 
into manhood, into womanhood. Hey, I, you know what? I don't want to be a downer here for parents of twos and, and teens, but I will make this assertion. The hardest time to parent is from young adulthood into adulthood. Hardest time. And this is what women have to endure. Terrible twos. Terrible teens. Young adulthood. What if, what if your kids were perfect angels? They always said, yes, ma'am. They always said, no, sir. They made their bed when they got up in the morning. They kept their bathroom clean. They did absolutely everything that you asked them to do. Perfect angels all the way through. How would that go? My goodness, I think of the peace that would seem to pass all understanding as God is providing this amazing experience with me as I watch my child grow up. But here's what you would miss. If your child was a perfect angel, you would not know the desperate need for Jesus to correct their heart. There would be nothing that would reveal how sick their heart is apart from Jesus Christ. You don't want your child to be a perfect angel. You want your child to express what's really in their hearts so that you know how to get after and pray for and fast over and parent the hearts of those children. I can't imagine. Well, you know what? I have a Wendy side of the family is full of educators. And it's getting harder and harder and harder to listen to them talk about kids in school. Because they're seeing kids that are raised with no consequence. They're seeing kids that have been raised with participation trophies. They're seeing kids that are being raised without discipline coming into the lives of these kids. And they're being slapped with a label that says some fancy word for my kid has an anger problem. Treated like perfect, perfect angels, not bringing hardship into their lives, consequences. That's all a woman has to deal with. I don't mean that's all she has to deal with. It's like, look at the magnitude, men, of the things that the ladies in our lives have to deal with. Her own sin, the sin of her kids, and right now you're like saying desperately don't go to the next one. Please don't go to the next one. Don't go to the second half of the verse, Todd. Let's pray. So here we go. Your desire shall be contrary, the ESV says, shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. The New American Standard in the NIV says this, your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. I believe this can be interpreted both ways because here's what I've witnessed. I've, I've witnessed this being worked out in the flesh of every marriage. Women marry thinking, he's going to satisfy my every need. My desire, my desire is going to be for this man who will take care of me and love me and cherish me. And if you read the rest of that verse, you know that is not the way it works. Your desire will be contrary to your husband's. Your desire will be for your husband. Women 
going after a man thinking that he will be her completion and her source, and that's only a position for Jesus to fill. Your desire will be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. Contrary to your husband. Wives, as a result of the fall, as a result of the fall, wives want naturally. It's built into them because of the consequence that God spoke over the women. They want that position of leadership in the home. But the passage goes on to say he's going to rule over you. He will. Now, the original design is right. God made the woman to be the helpmate for the husband. That's the original design. But now listen, fall happened. God speaks this consequence over Eve. Now listen to this. Paul says, wives, submit to your own husbands. Peter says, wives, be subject to your own husbands. Sarah, Abraham's Abraham, father Abraham, the father of the nation of Israel, his wife, called Abraham Lord. Now, women, how do you feel about calling your husband Lord? I'm really uncomfortable right now, are you? <laughs> Men, how would you feel if your wife called you Lord? I wouldn't feel very good about that because I know that my rule in my home is so conflicted. I know that my rule in my home is so corrupted because God, as a result of the fall, made it that way. I went over as I was working through this, Laura Karsten, she's one of our office administrators, And I went over and I asked her this. I said, hey, hey, submit, subject, call your husband Lord. Now, she's not married yet, so she hasn't, hasn't, ladies, had to endure some of the things that you've had to endure with your husband. But I did say this. I, I said, how do you respond to that? And she said, well, based on the original design, I think that's okay. But as a result of the fall and verse 16, Things become very complicated. And that's probably the safe Karsten way of saying it. I agree. It becomes very complicated. Ladies, I want you to know that when you get these feelings of wanting to reject the word submission and reject the word um, to be subject to, the thought of even calling your husband Lord, I want you to know that's natural for you to feel this way. So I'm not, I don't, don't hear me say giving you permission to feel that way, but here's what I know. If God determined it that way, if he placed that in the heart of every woman to bristle at the thought of that, he provides a way out. He doesn't want your heart to feel that way. He is the only one that can change that. Remember Ephesians chapter four, I believe it is. Be angry, yet do not sin. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. It's fine to be angry. You can't control those angry feelings that well up inside of you. You can't just turn off the angry meter. 
You can't. You can't turn off that bristling feeling that you get when you read these verses. Submit. Fall in line. Be subject to. God can change your heart. And here's how I believe he does it. When you respond with obedience, when you feel that bristling inside and you don't respond to the way that feels to your husband, that is where you grow spiritually and in your relationship with the Lord. Understand that that is a natural response. Turn it over to the Lord. Pray your guts out that he changes it. Pray your guts out that he changes your husband. Husbands, pray your guts out that you change for the sake of your wife. It makes sense that you would feel that way. Tough spot for the ladies, isn't it, men? Her own sin, the challenge of of raising her kids, yours. What can we do? Does it even have to be this way? And the answer is no, it doesn't have to be this way. So here's the answer for all of this. The fall came as an expression of, God, I don't just not need you. I don't even want you. Can you imagine if you're God, the crowns of your creation saying that, I don't need you anymore, nor do I even want you. So consequences come. Here's how it can change. Here's how it doesn't need to be the way it is. Delight drives disciplined living. Your delight needs to be changed. It can't be a self-absorbed approach to your life. Delight drives discipline. Genesis chapter four, you all know this. Cain kills Abel, but before that, they both provide a, they both come to the Lord and they, to God and they, and, they, and they give this offering. Cain kills Abel. Abel's is not corrupt. Cain's is corrupt. Cain's angry that God didn't accept his. And this is what God says to him. If you do well, that's an action. Yeah, you can feel angry. You can feel upset. But if you do well, will you not be accepted? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. The desire is contrary to you. Its desire, sin's desire is contrary to you, but what? You must rule over it. It's okay to bristle at hard things. It is not okay to respond to them. Cain didn't listen. He responded to the anger in his heart. He killed his brother. He was separated from relationship with God. It's okay to be angry, but you cannot sin. Feeling is a heart issue. Response is obedience. Doing well, as Genesis chapter 4 says, if you do well, doing well starts with the right delight. Psalm 37 says, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. And so you can see the affection right there spoken of, changing, Delight yourself in the Lord. If your desire is driven by your delight, guess what your delight is? It's not just God. I don't, it's, I don't just need you to fix this mess I'm in, which he's the only one that can fix us. This says, I want you more and more and more. 
God's answer for the parent is this. You train your child in the way he will go, and he will not, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. Proverbs 22, 6. It begins with the right delight. Teach your kids. As Jasper so clearly stated a couple of weeks ago, yes, you, knew, you do need to get after the discipline for the wrongs they do, but you need to show them what their delight should be in God above all things. Do not provoke your children to, la- to wrath, Ephesians chapter 6. God's answers for the parent. Hey, let just a very practical way to not exasperate your kids. Let them be right sometimes. Let it go their way sometimes, as long as it's not a sinful way. Find ways to let them be right. God's answers to the wife. Listen, here is your goal. It's not a happy life. It's not a, it's not a, a husband that's worthy of being led. Here's your goal. Number one, that you are living a, you are living a Christ-like life, and your goal for your husband is that he would be the same. 1 Peter chapter 3 says, Likewise, wives, you live, you, you be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, what? They may be one. If your husband is a wretch toward you, God says this, he says it this way through 1 Peter chapter 3. Be subject to your husband so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. Ladies, that is hard. It is hard. I want to admit it right now. It is very hard to do that. But when God makes a promise through his word, he will see it to fulfillment. Entrust yourself to him, your faithful savior. Make it your desire to see your husband one to Christ's likeness. God's answer for the husband, same for you. Christ's likeness for you, expressed toward your wife. Remember, the consequence of the fall makes it very difficult to follow. Ephesians chapter 5 says this, men, that Jesus Christ gave himself up for the church, and so we should love our husbands, we should love our wives as Christ loved the church. We give ourselves up for her. We do not selfishly pursue relationship with her. We don't do for her so that she'll do for us. We do for her because God wants us to. You should be driving her to delight in the Lord. That's your role. That's your role that you would see her sanctified and cleansed and washed by the word as you speak it over her and pray over her so that one day you would present her in splendor so that she would be without spot or wrinkle or any blemish. That's your desire. That's your goal. Necessary consequences, they need to come. Embrace the purpose of God's sovereign consequences. Because without consequences, we don't see or recognize our need for a Savior. If life was a bed of roses, we would get fat on the land and we would live and we would forget God. Oh Lord, reveal our need for you. But also give us a new desire for you. Listen, we're going to end with this. We read this passage over and over and over again. And I would say 99% of the time, we see it from man's perspective. Let's look at this from God's perspective for just a moment. 
Imagine now the crown of your creation does something that expresses, I don't want you anymore. I don't need you anymore. I want to do things my way. Now imagine God saying to, the, to his two cherished, I got to do this for you now. I got to bring this into your life. How hard would that be? Like, think about it, parents. How hard is it to bring hardship into the life of your child as a result of their wrong choices? It's terrible. Now imagine God doing that, knowing that every generation after Adam and Eve was going to suffer tremendously because of sin in our lives. That must have been terribly, eternally difficult for him. And it doesn't end there. Knowing the only way God says, I can make that right, is to then send my son, Jesus, to die on the cross so that I could be restored to right relationship with my creation. I can't, please join me in this, can't imagine the pain that God the Father must have felt when he spoke these consequences over Eve. And what we'll learn next week over Adam. We should join with the Apostle Paul saying, wretched, wretched people are we. There is no fixing this apart from Jesus Christ. Lord, save us. Father in heaven, thank you for your constant, long-suffering patience with us. So thankful, God, that your promises always remain true. Give us ears to hear, eyes to see, and a heart to receive. Blessed be you, God, and the one who is faithful. Father in heaven, keep us in, take us into your hands. May our confidence be in you entirely because you are the one, Lord, that never, ever fails. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. As you were listening to Todd preach, I don't know what your family life looks like in your home. I don't know what it looks like in your marriage. But I hope that you understand the goodness of God in the midst of the difficulties that you are facing. Let me encourage you. You might be saying, listen, I've been trying to do what Todd is saying, to to live in a way that is trusting God and obeying him, but I don't see any changes. Listen to me. The one who obeys the Lord will never be put to shame. There are things that you are planning now that God says, if you continue in it, you will reap a harvest that is good. Do not neglect doing the things that God has asked us to do. But listen, I also want to give you an opportunity to come forward today. Perhaps your marriage needs prayer. Perhaps your marriage needs counsel. Perhaps your your parenting needs help. Would you come and have people pray for you today and talk with us? We'd love to be an encouragement to you. And let me remind us also, as Todd was sharing, we know that our flesh is contrary to the Spirit of God. But the Spirit of God, the graciousness of God in giving us not only His Son, but giving us His Spirit, is helping us to live in a way that is constantly checking our natural inclinations, our natural desires to war against our spouse and even against our own kids, to see disruption in our homes. More and more and more, we need one another to be encouraged. We need to rely on the Lord. Maybe today is a simple prayer. You 
and your wife, you and your husband, you and your kids praying, God help us by your spirit to do the things that you're asking us to do. And let me say this, as Todd was sharing, I want to say thank you to the ladies who are struggling to do the very things that God is asking them to do. Thank you. Men, thank you for seeking to lead your wife in a way that honors the Lord Jesus. Thank you. Remain true in those things. Happy Valentine's Day. And as you go today, you are loved.